0: Well, good morning. 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 I uh, know it's a special day for many people in America. (laughs) And that's good. Sort of celebrate the uh, culture's festivals. But um, I want you to know that I'm glad that that day is Sunday, not just Super Bowl Sunday. Because... I don't know about you, but every now and then I have a week where I just want to come and be in the presence of Jesus. And for whatever reason, this was one of those weeks. And um, I don't know where you're at, maybe in your spiritual development. Maybe you're a new person just showing up today. If so, great. Thanks for coming. We're glad that you're here. But uh, we are just a family of people that are on a journey to discover a fresh Each and every week, who Jesus Christ is in our life and what he has called us to do. And so I want to say thanks for just gathering together in this time of celebration, though I suppose it'll be celebration and despair, both experienced by different people this week, maybe. I don't know. Um, in your program is a communication card that we each fill out every week and I want to encourage you to do that uh, we said last week that we're sort of got a new system in place where we're trying to get our database updated and all that's going on with that so I want to invite everybody to fill that card down again this week even if you've been here forever and um, just make sure your information is clear on that as we continue um, to keep that updated there's some other information in your um, program concerning connecting in small groups or whatever. This is a week of some change in our student ministry. Um, beginning the second hour right at 1030, uh, the youth will be meeting over in the student room. And so uh, if you're a parent and that's sort of how you're dialed in, your kid comes here or maybe know somebody, they're starting right off at 1030 over in the student room uh, for the second service uh, for this season. Also, they are starting a Wednesday night youth um, uh, meeting, which is pretty cool. I'm excited about what's going to happen with that. And they got a young man coming to help lead some worship there this week that I met this last week at the district function that I was a part of. And so that's sort of the heads up on that. But um, as I was driving here today, I said, Jesus, I want you to show up. You ever pray that? I just, And it was one of those um, mornings um, where I'm like, Really? Can I just sort of like introduce Jesus and have Jesus come, and let me just be seated? And my mind went back uh, when I was uh, a young adult, and I never made a public profession of my faith in Christ. I don't know about you. When you maybe if you're a believer this morning, you crossed the line of faith, invited Christ to take control of your life, you repented of your sins, you began following Him. Uh, maybe it was in a private setting, and, and that was true in my life in younger years, and I'd never done a public coming forward. And I was in Alexandria, Indiana, actually with a, a, it was a youth ministry function I was a part of. And I don't know if anybody here, if you're an old timer and been around Christian circles, I used to, my parents uh, were very gracious to me. One of the formative things in my spiritual development was that they would get me Christian music. And I have stacks of eight tracks that are about this high, you know. <laughs> and uh, one of the guys that I listened to was a guy by the name of Dallas Holm. And I went to a Dallas Holm uh, concert, and um, I don't know, uh, I forget who's speaking that, that night. I think David Wilkerson might have been speaking. And uh, they closed uh, the this, this service in this big high school auditorium uh, Dallas Holm did with a song called uh, Come Unto Jesus. And I woke up today, and that song uh, that I actually got out of my seat on and went forward to commit my life to Christ uh, was on my heart. And I knew that um, God had a challenge for us from his word today concerning the lostness of people, and we'll be talking about that in a second. But I also knew maybe more important in the message today was the time of communion that we would be able to share as a body of people, where we could come unto Jesus and gather in his presence for him to do ministry in our hearts. So with all the other activity and celebration and parties maybe going on today, maybe you are at a place where you need the touch of Jesus in your life. And so I'm going to take us to the table here in a second. And um, as we have started to do communion here at Chorus... If you're a believer in Christ, you are invited to an open table. It's a table that's open to anyone who proclaims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, then the Lord says, you know, hang, hang with it and, and, and uh, step aside. But you can also make that decision, even in a time of communion, to say, I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can partake. But as we come to the table, um, it says this in 1 Corinthians Until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A man, a woman, a child ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And then he goes on to explain that's why he feels that some of them were sick in that particular church. And so we don't come to this Lord's table lightly. We don't have to come with these heavy, sober hearts either, but we need to come with a spirit of solemnness and reflection upon what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. The scriptures say, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. And so the Lord Jesus really is here. It's not a question of if he's here. It's a question of if you're here. And so I want to invite you in a time of worship and silent meditation, and Chris is going to be singing as well maybe a little bit, but this is a holy moment just set apart in the middle of our service for you to meet with Jesus. We run at such a pace sometimes, and I had one of those weeks, that it's just good to center in. And sometimes I think we, in our church services maybe, run them too fast and too hard and too strong without just being able to center in on the presence of the Lord. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And when he broke the bread, he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, This is a symbol of my new covenant, of my blood that's shed for you. And so in a tradition that we've started here, you're invited to come Take the bread, and then take the bread and dip it in the juice. And then I want you to go and find a place, maybe it's right back to your seat, where you can have some silent moments with your Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you want, you can gather around in some of the open spaces that are around the outside of the room. Maybe gather together as a couple. I just have a word of prayer, maybe as a family unit. I know we do that. It's been one of our traditions for years. And I have my family here to do communion together. But I want you to take this time um, to come to Jesus. These are your moments in his presence. And so there's no time frame, length of what's going on. We just determine that when we do this table, it's not going to be some ritual we run through but it's that we're going to take our lives and come into his presence. That song was on my heart as I came this morning, and it simply says this. You'll have to forgive me if it goes somewhere it shouldn't go. Come unto Jesus. Give him your life today. Come unto Jesus. And let him have his way. Oh, I know there are things in your life. You think he can't forgive. But he'll forgive and forget, my friend. And show you how to live. So I invite you to turn your eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ to come unto him. And whatever your burden is, you lay it down. His forgiveness is rich. His forgiveness is sweet. His forgiveness is readily available to everyone that's in this room. May we take these moments of worship in his presence. May you spend time with Jesus. He has come. Will you come? You did for us, Lord Jesus, on that cross. We come here just to remind ourselves, to be in Your presence, and to draw nearer to You, Father. And we thank You for this time, Lord. Week. How many of you were here? All right. Thanks for coming again. <laughs> the rest of you, where were you? Right <clears throat> well, last week we closed with a true story of some missionaries that made a decision to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to a place that was unknown. If you remember the story, the guy's name was John Williams, and. <coughs> 175 years ago, in 1839 era, he went to the South Pacific Islands with a colleague, and when he showed up at that island, um, the native chief, and they were cannibals, means they ate people, um, showed up and met them when they got off their boat. And the chief drew a line in the sand, and he said, if you cross this line, you will die. And in that moment, John Williams and his companion... Together they crossed that line, and that night they died, and they were eaten. And then the story played its way out over a period of number of years going back and forth to the homeland church. Several others were sent to that very island, and they too lost their lives, including two brothers that went at separate times. And we share that the mother was crying back in the homeland church because... Not of only the loss of her sons, but more importantly, that she didn't have another son to send into the lostness. And we talked about how God used those people and that island came to know Christ. And even just a few years ago, in 2009, there was a gathering of the descendants of both the natives as well as the missionaries. And apologies were given for what happened to those first missionaries. And they renamed the bay in which they land after the man who stepped across that line, John Williams. And it's now called Williams Bay and the island of Uramongo in the South Pacific near the Fiji Islands. And then we closed service last week, if you recall, by us putting a line on our floor. And we had an invitation time to those of you who are willing to cross the line to take... God's good news to the lostness and by God's grace many of you felt led in a symbolic way and many of you maybe didn't cross the line but you did so in your seats to cross that line and say I want to do something about the lostness of people I want to first of all as a sojourner in this kingdom work give you affirmation for taking that step because that's not an easy step. But I want to ask you this week, if you cross that line, how did it go? How did it go? Or did you come here this morning going, oh, yeah, I did that. That was a good way to end the service, Carrie. Well, friends, it's not about what happens here. Though there has to be a contrition of a heart and a willingness to do something about people who need the presence of Jesus, people who need to come to a table to be able to to share in the remembrance of what Christ had done in their life. But we have to actively participate in what the Holy Spirit's doing each and every day of our life. And I want you to know that I was one of those people that went, oh yeah, that's what we did last week. We crossed that line. What have I done? Because, you see, pastors, we can sort of bunker ourselves away with Christians really easy. And we can sometimes give ourselves the excuse of, well, you know, I'm trying to encourage everybody else to do it. But I've been asking God afresh in my heart, us as a whole family, we're new to this valley, Lord, how do we deal with the darkness and push back the darkness and deal with lostness and reduce lostness? And what is my small part in that? And some of this came to me actually this week. I was, uh, took a little study break and went to a local fast food restaurant. And I'm sitting in a fast food restaurant just sort of getting, you know, dealing with the hunger pain so I can get on with the rest of the things I need to do and maybe get back to study. And it dawned on me at this fast food restaurant, and maybe you've done this before. I don't know. Maybe you think I'm weird. But it dawned on me that there might be some people around all the commotion that was coming and going that had never, ever been prayed for in their life. And so I took some extended time in that fast food restaurant just with my eyes open, looking at couples and families. I wasn't gawking. I wasn't, you know, you know, scouting out people in a weird way. I suppose I could get in trouble with that. But I'm like, you know, now there's a family unit sitting across from me. I have no idea what's going on in their life. I have no idea where they're at with their spiritual journey. But Lord Jesus, I pray that whatever's going on in their life, that you would encourage them this very day, and that your spirit would draw them to you. Jesus, maybe you have somebody in their life that knows you. May that person be bold and daring and put their arm around them, encourage them, maybe speak into their life. Maybe that person has never heard the good news before. Oh, there's some paramedics that walked in, Lord. They're always dealing with urgency and crisis issues, and as they go on helping people physically, maybe even emotionally, Lord, they have homes. There's something going on in their life. I pray for each of those paramedics right there. Lord, the people behind the counter trying to get the food ready for people are just wanting their shift to be over. I can tell. <laughs> Lord, may, may you help them do well in their work today and whatever is going on in their home front. Of course, they're younger adults a lot of times. Lord, I pray that you would give them a vision for life. And uh, even if it's serving behind a food counter at a fast food, may they serve with all of their heart to love you with their mind, heart, and souls. And I just spent some time praying. Now, that's nothing really big, but I tell you what, it's making lostness real about us. And maybe in your life it's praying for somebody, maybe someone you've been praying for for a long time, and you participated in in interceding forum this week. Good job, because our prayer is the work. It's powerful and effective. The adversary wants to bring destruction into everybody's life, and our prayers hold the enemy at bay many times. And the Lord allows us to participate in the throne room, the governing board of heaven, to be able to intercede for people. Maybe you were asked to do an act of kindness towards someone this week, and you thought about it, and then you thought, I don't need to. And then you decided to do it. Well, good job. You were the hands and the feet of Jesus. Maybe it was just something very kind. Chris mentions today about a guitar that's been gifted to him. That just came from a passing comment that Chris said about his guitar. Some people took it up and they chose to be kind and generous on his behalf for him to be able to serve the Lord even more faithfully through music. Way to go. Maybe you took the bold step of crossing that line today and you shared some this week and you shared some words with somebody concerning Jesus. Now, isn't that a step? You can love people. You can pray with them silently. But when you start to try to direct the conversation to spiritual things, that's scary because you don't know what's going to happen, right? What might happen? They might look at you weird, and they might go, don't go there. Politics and religion, we don't talk about those things, right? Why not? Cross the line." There may be some death. There may be some embarrassment. Maybe you took that step to be able to share your faith, your story. I don't know what it is, but I want to commend you for stepping across the line last week, and I want to say, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Because each and every week, the sense of urgency concerning lostness is there, and we need to push back that lostness. People are dead, and they need to come alive fully alive. I'm not talking physically because we are alive walking around, but spiritually and alive unto the plan and the will of God for not only our own individual lives and our families, but the plan of God for the ages, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have a responsibility not to always stay radically there on this emotional edge, but we have a responsibility as believers in Christ to faithfully steward the good news of the kingdom of God. We are God's means for pushing back the darkness, reducing the lostness. And so we started into this um, series just a, a few weeks ago, and I'm not quite sure where it's going to end up landing. It may end up landing today. But we talked about the need to come alive in Christ. We talked about the need to be able to move from death to life. And then last week, from grace through faith, and today I want to touch on those who bring good news. Let's go back to the Ephesians passage from last week, and I'd like us to read this together as corporate reading. So Ephesians 2, verse 1 uh, through 6, will go. It begins this way. Here we go. Ready? Together. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, Let's hold right there. I want you to go back. We'll go back to that verse 6 there, Jonathan. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, we're not going to dive into that, but I want you to know that that is the good news of which those of us who come out of darkness and death into light embrace, is that something happens when we cross that line of faith, we make the commitment to Christ, we repent and turn from our sins, we invite Jesus to be the leader of our life, to be the savior of our life. Something in the supernatural realm happens that we are then found in Christ and we are seated with him in a heavenly realm. What's Paul talking about in this passage? Well, I want us to dive into that deeper later on sometimes, but this is supernatural. When you are inviting people To cross the line of faith, it's not just a mere cognitive decision. We are literally experiencing the God of the universe intervene, coming into the life of a person, regenerating their soul. They come alive. They have now a position they never had before in the spiritual realm, and they become a new person. We talked about how the Apostle Paul was adamant that there was so much darkness and lostness in this world that people could never find their way to God unless special revelation was put on top of the general revelation to lead them into a salvation kind of experience. And so he devoted his whole life to it, on all kinds of missionary journeys, raising up leaders, being able to preach in the synagogues, being able to form small groups in family households. He was adamant that we had something to offer other people that would change their life. Do you and I believe that? Or are we a little embarrassed? Not just about the faith, maybe, but we are embarrassed that maybe it maybe it won't work. Maybe it won't change their life. Well, I can just say share with you, that's not your responsibility. We know that it's true if it's genuine in heart. Those who seek him will find him, but they seek him with all of their heart. And so you are just merely stewards of his grace. And you are inviting people through faith to receive the good news. And so Paul, in the book of Romans, he begins laying that all out. And we anchored there in Romans 1 for a while, but then he moves on and he talks about, you know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God demonstrated his love for us. And then that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as you move through the book of Romans, and some of you did that this last summer when you were in a series with that a little bit, you begin to see how Paul unloads this beautiful gospel, the kingdom of God. And then he comes to this part in the um, next section of Romans, in Romans 10. I want us to give attention to this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Stop right there. Just a few of them. God's going to pick and choose. No. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord be saved. But then Paul says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they have never heard, of, if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in seeing anybody's real feet this morning. I don't think feet are really beautiful, all right? But what it's saying here, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's the messenger who comes. How beautiful it is to receive them into my life, to hear the good news. Now, friends, this is what? This is back before the Internet, emails, back before text messages, back before any type of you know, transferring videos around. It was back before the phone, all right? No telephone back then. In fact, to get a message from one place to another, you had to physically take it there by foot or by horse. And so messengers were common that day, all right? They were couriers taking good news around. And so can you imagine being bunkered away far from any type of good news spiritually or about change or redemption, being able to come to your life, and someone shows up and says, listen to me, there's good news. Your team won the Super Bowl. (laughs) Well, that might be good news today a little bit, but it's not anything like the good news of somebody who's saying you are spiritually dead and you've become spiritually alive. Your sins that bog you down and the guilt riddenness of your soul, that can be cleansed and you can receive forgiveness and have right standing before God. You have a purpose in life. God has ordained from your mother's womb a trajectory of knowing him in an intimate personal relationship, the God who created you. Yes, you can have a relationship with him. And then you can serve his purposes as he has wired you and find fulfillment in that. Good news. We become complacent with it if we are believers this morning because it's become old news to us. But to those who have never heard it, it's good news. Or more likely today, to those who have heard some aberration of it that's like legalistic or dogmatic, that's not liberating, it's not good news to them. It's weary, tired old news. It's bad news to them. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not measuring up. Friends, we have good news, and we are the messengers. How are they going to hear? Unless someone is sent. You and I are sent on a daily basis to be bearers of good news. We don't have to put a big placard on us that says, Jesus saves, come and talk to me. No, you do it in your own personality, in your own way, in your ability to show people the love of Jesus And then begin to share the good news, the words. And we do that by contextualizing it. What did Jesus do in our life? What did I do here in leading off with communion? I told you a little bit about how I went forward in a public meeting with a man singing the song, Come unto Jesus, give him your life today. That was big in my life. You can't knock that. You weren't there. But I can tell you my story. People are not intimidated by hearing your story. So learn their story and then bridge it into your story, but ultimately point it to his story. In fact, I like that whole scenario when it comes to being bearers of the good news. Find out their story, then articulate your story, and then point them to his story. A three-story story, right? Right? Jesus, he's the one who had this idea. It's a passage we reflected on early when I came in, in November, in the first part of December, but I want to take us there um, this morning. Jesus sent out the 72 in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. I want to walk through just part of this passage together and just identify key things. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. We'll stop right there. These were not the 12. These were others. The 12 sort of hung with him. All right? And Jesus was going about in those days articulating the kingdom of God. And so Jesus appointed 72 others. Some versions say 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Jesus started out. This mission of taking the good news by putting together teams of people and sending them to villages. Jesus is still doing that. In fact, we as a church will be continuing on this journey. How do we put together teams of people, not to go door to door, but to go into villages, into communities, into networks, into affinity groups, into workplaces, into environments, into recreational clubs, whatever, and just do life together into your neighborhood. He did not send them out solo. He did not send them out solo because he knew it's hard to walk across that line. So it goes on from there. Next it says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He was just bringing before them the great acknowledgement of a great need. I don't know about you, but I cannot comprehend Jesus Christ, come in human flesh, standing there, looking upon the world of great need and death, and saying to himself, oh my gosh, how are we going to get at this? This is going to take a lot of work. These people need a lot of help. All right? If he said. In that fast food restaurant, I'm not sure what he would think. He would care for each of them, but he would be broken because of all the needs that would pass through. Jesus was broken, but he just didn't sit back and go, Oh, woe is us. We are living in a difficult nation these days. He was active, and he was active in calling laborers into the harvest. Now, I'm a farm kid, I come from the Midwest. Corn, soybeans, when time's ready and we have thousands of acres at my brother's farm, you get at it. And you put in 20-hour days nonstop. Well, we take a Sabbath. We don't work on Sunday. Always grateful for the respect we always showed to God. My father raised us that way. But we would work tirelessly to get the harvest in because you never knew when weather was going to hit and the harvest would really get damaged. Now around here, or, you know, I, I drive past the orange groves or the grape vines. I haven't been here for a harvest season yet. I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, they're just not going to sit back and go, wow, look at those oranges on that tree. Somebody ought to do something about that, right? <laughs> oh, man, it, it's it's time to bring the grapes in. Somebody so ought to do something about that. No, you mobilize workers. And so... Look into the fields for harvest. This was not a just sort of moment time. Okay, just this particular month is the harvest. No, in our world and real human being uh, commodity... The harvest is always ready and ripened to harvest. Jesus came at a unique time in history. We are still in that period of time. He sent his Holy Spirit back to indwell us. He brought them together as teams. He continues to bring people together in teams. And he says, look into the harvest, though. The harvest is plentiful. There are people that want to come from death to life. There are people that need to understand the good news of being saved by grace through faith. There are people that need to embrace Jesus as surely as you did around the communion table." today the harvest is plentiful but they don't know the good news the workers need to be added and the lord of the harvest therefore will send out workers and i want to tell you this some of you walked across that line in a symbolic way last sunday morning saying lord use me i want you to know that wasn't your decision that was the decision of the holy spirit who came to you he put his finger on your heart and he says it's you i need you in the harvest field I need you to cross the line. I need you to labor with me. We're going to do this together. We're going to do it together as teams. I want you to do it. And I tell you what, I get pretty tickled. I get pretty excited when I realize I got picked by Jesus. He picked me. Just as surely as he picked Peter and, 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 and James and John, he picked me to be a part of this harvest. But I don't think he will pick us unless we're allowed to be burdened by the great need. He goes on and it says this, what happened? Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. It is dangerous work. Why? Because your adversary, the evil one, is a roaring lion. The fallen archangel Lucifer and all of his fallen angels with them, And he does not like the kingdom of God being forwarded on this earth. And he does not want good news getting to your friends, to your neighbors, or down the row of whatever cubicle... Uh, hallway you're in at work it's dangerous but he knew this i'm going to send you out like lambs among wolves so don't be surprised when it's tough or when it's challenging or when you're like well, where do i go to from here next it says this do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road what this is referencing, part of it is like, well, man, don't you need provisions? You've got a long journey here, a lot to do. The urgency of needing labors in the harvest is so great that you just need to begin stepping into it and move with it. And in this, you need to have great dependency on God. This, I think, is one of the trickier parts because we want to sit back. We want to we say, oh, hey, you know, let me get a little more training. Let me get a little bit more um, prayed up. I just, just, I'll I'll get there, Jesus. But he just sent them. I can't believe how rookie novice those 72 must have been. These weren't even the 12, right? It was 72 others. So these are people just sort of checking Jesus out, and all of a sudden he turns around. All right, hey, I want you guys to go two by two ahead of me into these different villages and places that haven't heard. Really? Us? Yeah. Okay, uh, well, let me go get some. No, don't take any bags. Sounds just go. Okay, 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 okay. You ever been thrown into something that you were not prepared for? <laughs> Welcome to the kingdom of God. <laughs> it just is. Because I believe we learn along the path. I said it a few I said it a few weeks ago, and a lot of people say I need to love God more so I can love people. Well, the reality is you love people and you learn to love God. It's really the other way around. So he sent them out and it requires great dependency. Next, it says this. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If it is not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a house and are welcome, eat what is set before you. identify receptivity. This is something that we're going to work really hard with as a body of people because Jesus is not sending us out to try to crack open a hard head. His spirit will work in their lives somewhere, but I do believe there are people already receptive to hearing good news. But we are not good, we are not trained, or we are not learning, maybe, uh, on our own, how to identify receptive people. And so he says, when you show up in the village, you don't need to rent a hall and a sound system and start blaring the good news. I want you to find a man of peace there. Your peace will rest on him. In other words, you will bring peace into that home. And if not, it's not working out there, it will return to you. So this concept of man of peace, I want to articulate a little bit more for us today. And we're going to continue to do this in the months, I believe, in the years ahead. What does it mean to find a man, a woman, a student, a people of peace? These are people who are receptive to you and I. These are people who God has already gone in advance of. I'll list these five things that come from a guy by the name of Mike Breen. Find the person of peace. The person who is open to you, interested in you, likes you, wants to be around you. Okay? So this person welcomes you. They receive you. And they may even up end up serving you. All right? But you are taking the initiative to build the relationship or to be around your relationship. Who sort of likes, you know, they don't need to think you're really cool. But, you know, there's some warmth, there's some receptivity to that. This is one of the prayers I've been asking God again in my life. Lord, show me now, new in this valley, transient as we are, without a home of our own still. Lord, help me identify who some people of peace may be that need to hear the good news. And then the second thing that happened with this passage sending out the 72, go to their turf where they're comfortable. That doesn't mean you barge in their house. It's a little bit different culture today to some level. But a lot of times I would just take the initiative to say, hey, you want to go out and get a coffee or a Coke or something? And, you know, hey, let me show up and see what you're doing. I remember in student ministry a lot, some of the best student ministry that we ever had was at high school basketball games in Indiana. I tell you what, we networked there. We showed up at those games. We were on their turf. We interacted with people. And we were able to get them to open up because we were on their turf. Jesus sent them into homes, into workplaces, into um, workout centers. You can find common turf. Allow them to serve you, show you hospitality. This is probably one we're not quite used to, but people that want to encourage, help, then take, oh, sure you can. I had somebody this week. I I like to buy people lunch if I go down to have lunch with them, right? And they said, let me buy lunch for you. And I'm like, I don't want you to buy lunch for me. I know you don't have any money to buy me lunch. (laughs) And they did have money. I knew knew their means were short because they were without a job. But they wanted to serve me. And so I said, sure, you can buy me lunch. If I take you out to lunch, I'm going to buy your lunch. So you don't feel like you have to buy my lunch when I do that. But it's, it's this aspect of saying simply that, you know, let them serve and give into your life. And then four, spend intentional time with them. Try to be strategic in it. Are you strategic with your Super Bowl party today? Not that you need to, you know, be over the top evangelistic-wise, but maybe it's just a chance to show maybe a person that's outside the faith that Christians aren't weird and you can cheer too and get upset at the refs too, right? It's, you know, I'm a real person. Be intentional about spending time together. When you go and do something with some friends, think about inviting another person along to go to the movie with you. Maybe some you wouldn't naturally think of. Be ready, number five, to do the works and speak the words of the kingdom in appropriate ways. And there's a plethora of things that could be said there. I think you get the drift. You understand that ministry is both the demonstration of the kingdom and the proclamation of the kingdom, and so with that, um, with what's said here, um, we'll sh- show that in a second. I want to show you a bubble chart because I don't know if you're mindful of this. You can actually flip on the back of your note sheet and do this on your own. I put make-believe Bob and Barbara up here. It comes out of a book by Randy Frazee called The Connecting Church. And he talks about how busy our lives are, and actually this diagram was part of even a larger diagram where you draw all the circles of activity that you're involved in in your life. If you do that little project, you sort of get bummed out because you realize that your life is all over the place, that you're involved in all kinds of dimensions of relationships and people's lives. So Bob and Barbara here, Bob has his work environment. He has his extended family, his nuclear family, as well as his extended family. Who knows, the extended family may include, you know, uh, an ex-spouse, maybe stepkids. You know, it goes on from there. Uh, to aunts and uncles, okay, brothers and sisters extended out. There is his volunteer work environment, tries, tries to help out in the community. There's relationships there. His children's activities, whether there's sports activities, music activities. There's relationships that are involved there. Of course, his church world. There's recreation where maybe he is on a some type of athletic team or just working out in a club. He's got his natural friends. Included with that might be his neighborhood and neighbors across the street, down the street. He, got the, he has the commute time. Maybe he goes to work work with somebody and commute. that there's all these bubbles, these places, that you can map out your relational world. And when you do that, don't get overwhelmed. God wants to help simplify your life in some ways, but also realize that these are villages that you're being sent into to find the people of peace. Who are they? Who are they? Heal the sick who are there, Jesus then tells them. And tell them the kingdom of God is near you, both the demonstration and the proclamation of Jesus. And so you can discern through the Spirit what he's leading to with that. And then verse 10 says this, But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to your feet we wipe off against you. Oh, this is taking a turn south. Yet be assured of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it would be more bearable in that day for Sodom than for that town. The reality is we can expect rejection. We can expect rejection. To find a man of peace, a people of peace, you will find people of unpeace. And I think that's part of what it is crossing the line. Because when you cross the line, if you cross this line, you will surely die. If you cross this line of pushing back the darkness and reducing lostness, if you cross this line you will be rejected. And you just got to accept it. So don't go like, oh, my goodness, I don't know what happened. (laughs) Look at the life of Jesus, friends. He was put on a cross. That missionary John Williams, he and his friend that went to that island, they knew there was going to be a cost. And so when they crossed that line together and they were killed that very night, it wasn't like, oh, we didn't expect this. They knew that there was a risk, but they knew that God would work through that event to ultimately redeem and bring that island to having an opportune uh, faith center for those who wanted to follow Jesus. It says this in Romans 10, 13, later on, it said, The scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news, but not everyone who welcomes the good news. Not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So even in the exhortation to be beautiful feet is the reality that some will not receive. And then in Luke ten sixteen, Jesus will go on and say this, Then he said to his disciples, Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me, and anyone who rejects you is rejecting me, and anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Let me close with this story. It comes from the Far East. It's a story about um, a rich man who was an art connoisseur. He collected a lot of art, and um, he had a big mansion, a palace, and he had a son. And uh, this son grew up underneath his watch, and this son started to go down into uh, the more difficult parts of town and try to help out a little bit. And this son met a beggar. And he built a friendship with the beggar, person of peace. And um, the beggar ended up taking a liking to uh, this young man. And uh, one day when he came, he gave to the young man, he says, This is, I've, I've, I've uh, painted a portrait of you. And the son said, Well, thank you. And he took it back, and he didn't know what to do with it, and so he gave it to his dad. His dad un, you know, sees it, and it's a painting. It's not a very good painting, but it was a painting of his son. He could see some likeness in it and knew it came from this beggar. And so uh, the the wealthy man ended up putting it up with all the other uh, works of art in the gallery. Well, uh, some time went by, and all of a sudden, the beggar realized that the young son wasn't coming to see him anymore, and so he went up to the palace guards and And he asked, you know, what had happened or where the son was at. And the palace guards informed him that the son had died. To which uh, the man was burdened about. And um, he said, oh, that's too bad. He says, well, he says, well, could you give this to his father? And it was another portrait of the son. And so the palace guards gave the portrait to the wealthy man. And he stuck that portrait up right beside the other portrait in the art gallery. Well, a few more years passed and the wealthy man himself died. And they decided they were going to auction off all this beautiful art from these um, high-end artists in his gallery. And so word went out, invitations were given, the place was full, the auctioneer stood up in front. And somehow the beggar had made his way in through the back. And as he made his way in through the back, he sat in the back row and um, they were to begin the auction. And the auctioneer stood up and he says, now we're going to auction off this beautiful set of artwork, but there was one stipulation given by the owner, and that is that we would start with these two pictures of the sun. And everybody's like, really? Let's get on with the really good stuff. He said, no, 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 we've got to start with these two. And he said, who will bid on these two? And nobody was bidding. So the beggar in the back reached in his pocket, and he pulls out some change. And he raises his hand, and he says, I'll bid on taking those portraits of the sun." No one else bid. The gavel went bound, said sold. man in the back, the beggar comes up, and he begins taking the artwork down to leave. And then the auctioneer says, there was a second stipulation, however. And everybody's like, hey, let's get on with it. We want to bid on the good stuff. Let's get on with it. And he said, the second stipulation from the owner of this art was whoever took the sun portraits gets the whole gallery. You need to know this, that when you are out being messengers of Christ, that he who gets the son gets everything else in life. You are not stealing away from people opportunity. You're not stealing away from people richness. You are giving them everything when they have the son. And Jesus was adamant about this. I don't know if you remember the story of Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus was found by Jesus in the tree, he was a man of peace. Jesus went into his house. Jesus said to him in Luke 19, Today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to find and to restore the lost. And then in 1 John 5.12 it says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I firmly believe one of the reasons we're not always adamant about pushing back the darkness, reducing lostness, seeking people that are lost so they can be found in Christ, is we're not sure that if you have the Son, you have everything. Do you believe that? I trust you do this morning. If you don't have the Son in your own life, I want to encourage you, even today, you could repent And invite Christ, the Son of God, into your life to receive all he has for you. He has beautiful plans. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And we then get to take that message into our villages this week. Continue to pray, Lord, help me be broken for lostness. But now I want you to also pray, Lord, help me to find the people of peace I can begin building that bridge with. Lord, we thank you that today in this hour that we are able to come to you with glad hearts knowing that you send us out into the labor as laborers into your harvest field. This is your harvest. It's not ours. But we participate with ready hands, ready feet to be those who would bring good news. Mobilize us as a church. May we be not only equipped, but may we be empowered through your spirit to reach people for you. Lord, in all of our bubbles, all of our circles of relationships, may we identify this week those people that we need to invest more intentional time into bringing encouragement and ultimately the good news of salvation in you. In your name we pray. Amen. So continue to just worship as we gather here this morning. And I invite you to just rejoice in the beauty of your own salvation. And ask the Lord how he would send you out this week.